Welcome to Balls and Brew, a podcast about beer and sports with your hosts, Johnny and Kevin. The mics are on. The glasses are full. It's time for Balls and Brew. In this segment of Balls and Brew, we sat down once again with, with old buddy of the show, Tito Bonacci. As you remember before, Tito is a producer at both 560 WQAM in Miami, as well as, well as the Five Rings podcast, which is a Miami University of Miami-focused podcast. Uh, he is a knower of all things the U. Uh, he previously was a writer with Bulls 24, so he's also a, a knower of all things South Florida football. It's a big week for South Florida. Uh, big win, uh, 49-38 win over the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at home. Uh, a team that I used to cover and I know quite a bit about in terms of Paul Johnson and triple option and whatever. And so we got to sit down with Tito, get his thoughts on the game. Uh, also got a chance to get his thoughts on, on the upcoming game against, uh, against the Illinois Illini up in Soldier Field. Uh, we also sat down, of course, and talked to him about University of Miami football. So we sat down and talked about Nikosi Perry, Malik Rogier, uh, their performance against LSU, as well as bits and pieces of their performance against San- Savannah State, which really didn't matter because they could they could be still scoring right now if the game went on this long. I mean, they literally scored you know close to 100 points against them. It's pretty it's pretty bad. Um, and also we talked about their upcoming game against Toledo, which may be a sneaky difficult game. For University of Miami. Um, and we touched on who would win a foot race between Blake Barnett and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Cheers. Mr. Tito Banach, you're on the air with Balls and Brew. Kevin and Johnny, your good friends in Tampa. How's it going there, sir? How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. Enjoying, enjoying myself. Doing well. It's so wonderful to be talking to the man behind the curtain of Miami Sports Radio to 560WQAM, as well as the Five Rings podcast, and as we call him, Captain Crystal Ball himself, AAC Insider, Tito Banach. How are you doing today, Tito? Doing well. Can't, can't complain. Uh, it's been a some enjoyable college football the last two weeks. Some boring NFL football, but I mean the Dolphins one, so I can't complain too much. But yeah. well, you were there for the uh, marathon in Miami, is, is what I'm calling it. Oh, man, yeah, yeah, that game. I, I think you could have you could have like done a, a list of different chores that day, and by the end of the night, you were wondering how the game was still in the third quarter. So I was wondering it, if they, they broke like a record for uh, selling concessions. I don't, I, I don't well, know. I, I there don't was a report. Sales record. Yeah. There, was, there was a report that they did run out of food at one point in the middle of the second delay. So and it was kind of interesting to see how uh, they were able to handle that so quickly. I think they just rushed the game back on because they're out of beer and hot dogs. Huh? I know that yeah. it could have been. I, I think most of those are actually volunteers, too, who are doing that. Uh, and, and yeah. so, boy, could you imagine I'd be there for like eight, nine hours I know. On, that's, on, that's, on a Sunday? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Nah. yeah. It, well. I, anyways, yeah. Who, who is unbelievable, you might have heard of Terrence Horn. Yes. And so, yeah, so talking a little bit about the Bulls, man. Okay, so he's a national star now. 
I, I think yeah, so. <laughs> he, I've, I've, I've actually I've seen I mean, he's been tweeted out. I've I've heard the Deadspin people talk about him. You know, Bleacher Report. T Horn to New York, right? Yeah, T Horn to New York. That's the new hashtag. So is Terrence <laughs> Horn a Heisman candidate? Because right now I'm thinking like it's New York. It's the second Saturday in December. Mm-hmm. It's literally, you know, it's um, let me think, uh, you know, it, it's Tua Takabaloa mm-hmm. or whatever the hell he, his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, you know, Bryce Love might sneak back in there or whatever. Um, I love the tailback from Stanford. Yeah, definitely, from Stanford. Definitely yeah, might be yeah. I, I think he, I think when it's all said and done, you can see him there. Uh, handful of guys here that you may not know about, and T Horn through two weeks, man. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think it's going to be wrong. Matt, I, I, to be quite honest, going into the game, if you had asked me if I thought anybody was going to return a kick for a touchdown against for USF, I would I would have played those odds. I would have said, yeah, probably not. But it is incredible, the performance he put on against Georgia Tech. I mean, that is that they said he had track speed, but, man, like they, Georgia Tech had another thing coming when they kicked, when they kicked it to him. That was incredible. I, I mean, what a play by him. A true freshman, nonetheless, and, you know, this, I think that's the quintessential Charlie Strong type of kid, too. You know, a guy who doesn't get recruited very much, but, you know, in the right place, on the right system, Strong is able to find him and put him in the best situation. I mean, three touchdowns, some, some game-breaking plays. It, it was an incredible performance. and I, I believe ESPN even noted it as one of the top performers of the week. So yeah, he, definitely he, something that was he got a absolutely sticker incredible helmet to watch. From, I think Jesse Palmer gave him a sticker helmet. That's high praise. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Why yeah, wasn't yeah. he? Why wasn't he more on radar for some, for some people? It's certainly not lack of speed. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I, I, I guess is he raw? Maybe like route running ability. I mean, he's not. Yeah, he's not getting like a lot a, of like play with the offense. But he is, like he is a, on the field though. Some like a size thing, maybe. Yeah. Listen, looks. Yeah, small. I think maybe it might have been the size. Thinking he tops out around five ten. Um, I mean, he won the hundred meter relay in Florida, and I think he had some offers down uh, later in the recruiting process. However, uh, I mean. You know, there are times where I think some of these schools, they see an athlete like that and they say, yeah, but where do we stick him? You know, are, are we going to take him uh, just to be, you know, a kick returner? Are we going to take him? Well, hopefully, you know, he molds into a wide receiver. And for Charlie Strong, I, I think for him, it's, I'm going to take the best athletes and, and do the best I can with them. It doesn't matter what, you know, what their best position is, where they fit the best. I, I think he's going to take athletes and use them to their max efficiency and, and production rate. So I, I thought it was an incredible end by him already paying off dividends, as you can see, a huge win over a Power 5 school like Georgia Tech. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, at this point in rate, you know, it, it, it would be surprising me to see Horn not be involved in more plays on the offensive side. He's super fast. Well, yeah, he looks like a guy that you have to get the ball in his hands. I and mean, he has that type of speed. And it's not just, a, you know, obviously there's been many a fast guy that's come through that, through college and pros and whatever that, that did not quite exhibit the actual ability this Luke is moves I mean he literally I mean he had to get open yeah. in, in the open field to get to the point where it's a foot race like Deron Bell looks fast Terrence Horn look, looks like all he needs is a seam and he look, it's Adrian Killens fast is what Terrence Horn looks like like he looks like he looks like he's yeah. dangerous just to go the distance on any play I think if he touches the ball including kickoffs if he touches the ball 10 times He's probably going to end up in the end zone at least once. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, and I think even Sean alluded to that in his first year with the squad last year, that he said he felt like there wasn't a lot of guys 
who genuinely had game-breaking speed on the offensive side. I, I mean, often court flowers aside, but I mean, look at the receiving core last year. You had Bron- it's fairly similar. You know, you had Dalvin Scantling, you had Bronson, you had Antoine. Yes. You know, yeah, but it's just not a lot of guys who could, you know, like you said, you give them that small little hole and they can burst it open for a huge play like Horn can. And I think he's finally got that guy. And it just goes to show you the difference, you know, a, a player with like that type of speed, speed can make in a game. So I, I think for the offensive side of the ball, it's for strong now. It's kind of a, an interesting responsibility, and especially for the offensive coordinator, Coach Gilbert. Uh, to find more creative ways to get him the ball. I think, uh, you know, the statistic that I saw was that was USF's first kick return touchdown since Rodney Adams in 2015, yep. in years yeah. ago against yep. Navy. Yep. So it goes to show you that, you know, that, that's been lacking for quite some time. However, now that, you know, you have a guy like him and you have some of these other athletes who can help, you know, uh, draw some attention away, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to take place without question. Yeah, I mean, I think the West Coast, or I'm sorry, the Gulf Coast offense, I think, was predicated upon just stretching people in certain directions to create seams. And when you created seams, there were athletes on the team. And, and honestly, that's one of the advantages that USF I think, has over most of the AAC opponents is, especially over a team like Navy that doesn't have that top flight speed, is if we can create a seam and stretch you, we have far more team speed than you do. And it's just a matter of time before you're chasing us. Yeah, and I think it's right. indicative in the in the last touchdown if you want to score. Because literally, you just throw it out into the flat, mm-hmm. get the blockers in front of them, and let them go. You know, and I, I think you're going to see more plays like that it, with uh, throwing Horn's direction. Because obviously, obviously the ability is there. I think going to be a more and more attention, obviously, with them. But the, you know, it, 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 having the, the attention on them and being able to stop them mm-hmm. are kind of like completely different things. And so. Um, and so that would be interesting to see how they use them in the in the coming games. You know, I think, I think that's going to be that's going to be key. And I, 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 they'd be crazy not to use them. Um, oh, I, I think they've already. I think they're all in. I think they they knew they knew before Georgia Tech knew. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia Tech. It took, a, it took Georgia Tech yeah. a little while to figure out, but yeah, now I guess a lot of people know. Funny thing is that Terrence Horn almost scored a touchdown on the first yes. kickoff. I, I, jumped out of my seat. Yeah, like. I, I jumped out of my seat on the first kickoff because I thought I saw a huge uh, lane, and then on the second kickoff, I think there was even a bigger lane that he went through. And if it wasn't for the face mask, he would have gone untouched. Yeah. And the second one, I think he was untouched. Yeah, yeah. The second, yeah, second one, he, was, he pretty much ran untouched. He, he ran a scheme, and he was pretty much gone. You know, and, and it's, it's just like I said, it just blows me away. Uh for, for the record, he is 5'9", 165, so, um, mm. so that might have something to he's do a, with, with... He's the, a stocky 165, though. Yeah, he's, he's it built. Look, I mean, he's, like he's, been in the, he's been in the weight room, that's yeah. for sure. You can, you can definitely see that, and then just... Yeah, I, I, give, I, give him another year. Give him another year, and then you'll really start to see the weight room dividends pay off. I mean, I think we saw it with a couple other guys. You know, Jamon Thomas was one guy who, for quite some time in USF, was pretty skinny. But yeah, give him one more year, and he'll... Well, another young guy who made a huge impact in this game. Uh, I'm pretty certain it was Bentley Sanders that forced the fumble that Nico jumped on, and which I think was the turning point in the game. Yeah, that's the thing. Because that, that's the thing we want to talk a little bit about. Because because that answer you asked the question before I ask it. This game, while while it looked good in the end, the, the score looked great, celebration down 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 at Raymond James. It was in doubt for a little bit. <laughs> you know, it, it, there was a point in time where Georgia oh, Tech no, kind of stretched. They stretched 
uh, U.S. up a little bit, and and just gotta say, what is the turning point? You say, you say it's that the I, I think it was definitely that fumble. Bentley Sanders forcing the fumble. What's your take on that, bud? No, I I think you guys are right. I mean, there was a point where they had a ten point lead, and I think anytime you go into a game against you know a Georgia Tech and Navy, when they get that double digit point lead on you. Uh, that doubt begins to creep into your mind just because you know how the offense works. You know they can kind of just lean on their offense just to two clock and eventually wear you down. And I mean, even the announcers are saying it's ESPN that you know it, the USF defense looked down; they couldn't stop the one. And you know now it's two consecutive games where the run defense looks like a massive concern. Uh, and you can attribute that obviously to a, a young linebacking core or a, a linebacking core that. Isn't as experienced, maybe not as young, but just isn't as experienced. Uh, you've got young players in the defensive line who are, you know, obviously still learning. Uh, I think uh, Rashawn Yates and Tyrone Barber were getting a lot of reps during that Georgia Tech game. So I feel like for the circumstance of uh, that game, it, it took a lot of, of just lucky bounce. I mean, you know, one thing about Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech is. Anytime he feels like it's like a fourth and three or a fourth and two, you know, near Michigan, he's just going to go for it, naturally. the way he wants to do it. And for USF, they were able to stuff a few. They forced a couple field goals early, which obviously played a huge part later in the game. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, I think that was just a, a big-time play, a clutch play when they needed it the most. And then right after that, it kind of just blew the, blew the wind out of Georgia Tech sale, and USF took over from there. Yeah, and I think that, I think that's kind of the interesting part about this. It's, it's rare that a defense gives up 38 points, but you can almost in good faith say that a defense kind of saved the day a little bit. Um, and I think I think obviously the two fumble recoveries are, are huge. Uh, fumble cover, I think maybe fumble cover was a interception. Yeah, they're huge. I think there's a point in time where okay, I think they scored a touchdown to go up 38-28, but they had before that they had to take the field goal. And that, I mm-hmm. think, was big. Because I think if they go up at that point, you know, if they if, if that if at the end of this they're up 42-28 instead of um, so 38-28, I, think, oh, I yeah. think from a momentum standpoint, this is a different game. And, it, and I can oh, well, yeah, you know. Well, the momentum changed when, actually, when, when Taquan got hurt, which was weird because that was more concerned about chasing that, Yeah, and, and that still perplexes me because – I mean, their backup came in, and he didn't throw a pass. No. He and he was running right for the USF defense. And I, I told myself at that point, I go, man, this is the deja vu USF fan pay the backup to be coming in yeah. and, and somehow finding some elite success. But for whatever reason, I think he got stopped on one drive. Or no, correction, it was the fumble. The, the fumble is the only and, time they stopped And him. then right after that, they took him out. he kept the backup in for another two plays, and on third down, he put, uh, I think it's in. the, yes, yeah, Taquan Marshall. They put him back in, and it just from from that point on, it was so perplexing as to why Johnson did that. It it, it seemed like maybe he just didn't he didn't feel confident enough in the backup. But I mean, there was a point during when the backup was in where I was like, man, USF literally cannot stop this guy at all. No, and they yeah. weren't even running pass plays. No, they were running. So, they yeah. were running very obvious. And I kept looking at the sideline, watching uh, Brian Jamari and watching Charlie. And just kind of seeing what they were saying out across the field, what was happening, and it, it looked like they thought that they had the scheme in place to to stop this. 
and that they weren't really afraid of being beaten over the top like they had had they got beaten in the I believe the, the end of the first quarter. Yeah. So it, it was really just a matter of, hey, guys, you got to make a play. And the thing about stopping the triple options, you have to win first down. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And if you're giving up six, seven on absolutely. first down, you're you're probably going to be on the field for a, lot, a lot on that drive. Yeah, because yeah, you put right. a lot of pressure absolutely. on them when you do. And, I, and I, I, I used to cover Georgia Tech when I lived in Atlanta for a number of years. And I covered the first few uh, Paul Johnson years. So I, I'm – I'm very familiar with it. It's actually kind of weird watching this on the other side, you know. But mm-hmm. but what they, you put a lot of pressure on them when you when you stop them on first down, and the and the decision making kind of wanes a little bit after that. So I and this we've talked a little bit about about Georgia Tech mm-hmm. and Navy, mm-hmm. and the differences between obviously both Paul Johnson's in both places, but a difference between a Navy um, you know triple option and a Georgia Tech triple option. No one runs the triple option on Earth better than Navy. Yeah. On Earth. And, and the difference is Navy – okay, so Georgia Tech third and seven, almost invariably they're passing that ball. That's going to be one of the five times well, they well, pass it Dequan, per game. Dequan. Although they passed it a lot this particular Dequan's game, which is a little good. weird. I mean, uh, why he, not? He's a, he's a capable thrower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, he, yeah he, he, he is perfect for that offense. Oh, he's I mean, And it's crazy because he's an athlete that could have gone to another school and probably played a different position, but he excels in that offense. Oh, no, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, he might be the best quarterback I've seen Tech have in this, in this offense, for sure. Um, but right. the thing is, what ends up happening, though, and I think what ended up happening a little bit towards the end of this game, is that, okay, if you're going to throw it on three, third and five, third and somewhere north of four every single time, well, you know what? We're just going to sit back and wait for you to throw it. Every single time, and we're going to send a few people up to, to put the pressure to pressure mm-hmm. the quarterback. And I think that and that and, that and they had success the too. Uh, yeah, Kegler know. had a big hit on Taquan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was huge. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that was so. a big hit. Yeah, because second quarter, I think USF uh, prior to Quan's injury, USF was starting to take momentum. Uh, especially mm-hmm. the defense was starting to make adjustments. Yeah, they're start, starting to make stops. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and and then all of a sudden, I, I realized sixteen wasn't on the field; it was eight. And, and I'm, I'm going like, wait a minute, that's not Marshall. And then I, I couldn't tell was that done by design. Yeah. Uh, of course, when you're when you're sitting in the stadium, you don't really know. Yeah, that, yeah, that someone's yeah. injured. Um, but then I, I think USF got hit a little bit out of out of left field. <laughs> yeah, I think they changed changed the kind of game plan a little bit. And I think I think obviously this is a situation where USF is game planning for for Marshall. They were not game planning for I think the guy's name is Tobias Oliver or something like that. They weren't game planning. For yeah. And so. Um, and, and, it, and it made a difference temporarily. And then, yeah, you know, they bring Marshall back in, which, which you know, it's hard. They've had so much uh, success with Marshall. It's hard to say, okay, no, we're just going to get away from that, even though we're right, even though we are sort of right in the hot hand. You know, it's a little hard to say that. You know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, catch 22. You leave Oliver Ed and Wilts, people blame you. Yeah, Paul Johnson, Paul Johnson has made a career off of somehow. I think the statistic shows it, but like, they're. They're been, they've been awful on the road. I've, I think they're like two and eleven in their last thirteen road games. They haven't won a road game, uh, I believe, since three years ago against Georgia. Believe it or not, when Mark Richt was still coach. Yeah, if I, so, I believe it. I remember correctly. That might be the last. That might be Mark Richt's last game, maybe, Mark, or yeah. the bowl game, maybe. Last regular season. season. Yeah, Rick I think game, that might have yeah. been his last game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it it goes to show you, I it's. It was just such a questionable decision at the time. Like I, in in you know hindsight's twenty twenty. So for you know if he left the guy in, 
you know, everybody would have railed on him had they lost anyways. But it, for, for USF, I think the, the biggest thing was is there was a point in that game where they could have easily, I mean, easily just kind of just been like, you know what, our defense isn't going to bail us out. You know, let's, you know, let's, let's sail it in. Let's try to onside. Let's get cheeky with it. And they, they had the courage to stick with their defense. Their defense comes up with a timely stop. Bentley Sanders forces a fumble. And then they take the lead. And then the very next drive, Kirk Livingston with a huge play to, to sack the quarterback. Ball jumps up. Nico Saltel comes up with a pick. And then the rest is history. So I think, you know, that was a game where USF mentally could have just kind of, uh, you know, mailed it in. But they kind of stuck with it. Everyone that I've seen on Twitter uh, and, and most of the blogs were definitely saying that not going for it on, on fourth and short seemed like a mistake. Um, I think how the game, the flow of the game was going, I, I agree. Uh, that they still may have won this game. They may have won going away. They may, they may have won it. It may have been closer. Obviously, the series, you know, it's, it's who knows hearsay at this point. But I for certain feel like the way they were playing defense, Chase and Oliver, that – I would have been almost ready to probably kick onsides after almost every touchdown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, for sure. So, so, so I agree with you, yeah. the fact that they stuck the faith into defense and defense did make the big play. And then, I, honestly, by the time Marshall came back on the field, it, se- it seemed like they, they, felt like they felt like, oh, we got this. We've been watching film. We know what to do. Whereas when Oliver was out there, they, they felt lost. They literally didn't look like and, it. It's probably the worst part of the game. And, and it looked just like a, a Thursday night game against a Cincinnati team with a running quarterback who, who comes in <laughs> for an injured starter. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. So speaking of running quarterbacks, mm-hmm. okay, so I, I pose this question to group. Who would win in a foot race, Blake Barnett or Ryan Fitzpatrick? <laughs> Wow. Oh, that's a good oh. question. I'll, I'll say Fitzpatrick by a beard. Yeah, yeah. So if you had to by stick that beard. beard out there, you know, it's long. It's, yeah. yeah, and so yeah, I think he, he barely. Well, I, I don't know. I think I think Barnett's a little lanky though. You know, so you could extend those legs to just give him that toe that toe inch lead. Maybe Barnett. I don't know about that. Well, Barnett has uh, the edge, obviously, on on wife uh, capabilities, but also <laughs> I, I would say he's probably about fifteen years younger. Man. Have you seen Ryan Fitzpatrick's play? Actually, I haven't. I haven't. Seen him. Uh, oh, actually, I have from, from Hard Knocks last year. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Blake Barnett's <laughs> Man, ironically <laughs> enough, Ryan Fitzpatrick's uh, son plays on my the team, the football team, the youth football team that my daughter uh, cheerleads for, actually. So I've... Um, there's, so, a, there's yeah. a balls and brew connection. Yeah, right? yeah. I've been around Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. a little bit, actually. Uh, he's a nice guy, actually. Really, I mean, like, you wouldn't know. You would just think he, like, brews beer with that beard or whatever. You don't know that he's actually, like, a <laughs> professional football player, you know, that, that like, kicked ass last week or like, this past Sunday. But, but Speaking of ass kickings, uh, I think there's, I think one's going to commence on Saturday, Tito. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually excited to see that. You know, I think it's going to be interesting. Soldier Field playing on the road in Chicago. Uh, if I'm correct, last year the only early road game USF really had was at San Jose State, and then I mean we, I think we all remember how that went. Mm-hmm. So I think this is interesting. I kind of want to see how you know the team comes out. I want to see if they can come out strong, start quickly. Uh, this is the first time Illinois has started two and zero in a while, if I remember correctly. Uh, they beat Kent State the previous week by a touchdown, mm-hmm. and then the week before that they played some FBS school and murdered them. Uh, so this is supposed to be the year where Lovey Smith is supposed to show progress. Now, I mean, it, 
does he does that mean that Illinois is going to be you know some tough competition? I'm not sure. However, I, it would it wouldn't surprise me to see them you know come out gun firing and, and show some giddy up with the way they play, especially in front of their home crowd. So I'm I'm actually excited to see this game and how it goes. I think it's going to be like this in terms of this game, and I, and I, honestly, I I, I I do think USF pulls, does pull it out, but I think. Illinois, I think, I think it's going to come. Really, it's more about USF than Illinois. Yeah. Because right now, because USF is coming off a big win, a big game, kind of a signature win. Um, to sort of, you know, one of the, I guess, really first signature wins in, for the, in the Charlie Strong administration. Um, and they beat Illinois handedly last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should be favored in this game, too. I think this will be the worst offense that U.S. has faced all year, and that includes Elon. Uh, yeah, you see, the thing is, you're not being objective about yeah, this, yeah. Kevin. Yeah, like, you know, uh, I, I mean, these they, guys they, are better they, than – these are D1 athletes. They're better than it, Elon. Illinois struggled to do just, anything offensively last year. That was last year. And, and they struggled but, to score against Kent State in the first half of that yeah, game. Yeah. I, I think they're taking on a faster, better – I think this is the fastest defense I think they've faced. Yeah, I think, honestly – well, like I said – if USF wants to win this game, they will win it. They they will exert their will and win it. Win this game. They they can definitely, if nothing else, they can outscore these guys for sure. Um, but it's just gonna. But if they but if they if they feel if they take last year and look at it like oh because we kicked their ass last year we're therefore going to we'll go up on the road and kick their ass this year then that that would worry me and that and I I I, I, I I'm not too worried about that other than just the human momentum of just of, of those things happening but I do believe that it, it, it's going to take someone a fiery coach to kind of get these guys locked in and Charlie Strong is definitely that um, I would be more worried honestly if Lovey Smith was a more was a more fiery coach because if I'm if I'm coach of Illinois I'm like there's no damn way we to let these guys kick our ass like two years in a row that's what I would be, but but we we have quite a deal of experience out here with Lovey, and he's he's not really that. No, he's, um, he's overly complacent, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't he doesn't even want people to fire up his his players. Yeah, but you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, they I mean they they're they pulled their first two opponents to under twenty points a game, um, so their defense is, is definitely a little bit better, and they score thirty two points a game, but. You know, I think I this think is going to be a reality check for Illinois. I, I think I think this is going to be leading them into conference play, and, and where they're going to be out athleted pretty much week week after week. Yeah, it's just going to come down. Like I said, it's going to come down to does, how much does U.S. want this? Because honestly, we don't know a lot about Illinois. They're really only thing we know is that they did let you know they did let Kent State score twenty four points on them, um, which you know I, I don't know how good a, a MAC team Kent State is. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't I'm not certain of that they you know um, so they have not been tested really so far this season USF has they just came off a major mm-hmm. test you know um, you know and so it, it, that's gonna be that's that's what it's gonna come down to they are they you know you can they is this momentum or is this like a oh wow we just we just beat Georgia Tech on our home field this first time we played them we beat them you know and that, I think it's gonna come down to a lot of that what do, uh, what do you think Tito well, I, I think for Illinois, the past couple seasons, it's just been an absolute revolving door in the offense. I mean, just guys coming in, cycling out, not, and they haven't really been able to generate points. And I think Kevin alluded to that, that their offense still is struggling. 
and they went to the true freshman last week in MJ Smith second, mm-hmm. and he seems like you know the I guess the understudy that they eventually want to take the reins because they picked up a you know transfer of AJ Bush out of Nebraska, but he you know hasn't shown what they want. So I, I think for USF, uh, this is going to be a game where stifling their offense is a bigger necessity than anything else. Mm-hmm. You don't want. Illinois to jump out ahead by any certain amount of points just because you know the moment they get some momentum offensively, it can kind of carry throughout the rest of the evening. Uh, for, for, for them defensively, Lucy Red makes it sound like you know they've got to have a decent defensive line, but a questionable secondary and linebacking that doesn't have a lot of depth. So for USF, this is another game similar to Dirty Tech where it's going to be three points. And like you said, stifling them defensively enough to just maybe hold them to field goals, uh, force turnovers in, in a way, and get to the quarterback. I think the one thing I was most impressed with from USF, obviously the rush defense is vastly concerning, but they were able to put pressure on Georgia Tech's quarterback. They yes, take on Marshall, not for the most part, I mean, he, he had a clean pocket, but there were times where you know he was forced to scramble to the outside and he threw some air passes just because of pressure. So I think for USF's sake, it's going to be about you know making making sure that they can hold Illinois' offense in check, giving their offense good field position while they're able to put up points. Mm, I, I can see that. I I just think when USF has the ball outside of the hurricane, maybe bringing in some really nasty weather into Midwest, I just feel like they're going to be able to stretch out Illinois, and Illinois is not going to Illinois is going to be facing more offense than they've faced. All, I'm sorry, more, more speed I'm sorry, on offense than they've faced by either of their opponents. Probably an all-star team, but their first two opponents would still not be near as fast as USS offense is going to be. Well, yeah, and, they're, yeah, they're and definitely... I see a healthy yeah. dose of Cronkite. I, th- I see Cronkite running for about 120 yards, and as long as USF's efficient in the red zone, I, I honestly think 30 points wins this game. Yeah, I think they definitely need to get into 30 points just to be, uh, they just be on the safe side. Um scoring those points early will help because this is one of those games because Illinois is kind of an unknown in terms of what they can do this season you know that you're probably better but you don't know what that margin is they are at home you know and so it's just it's it's a matter of getting out on them um well if Rivers is is under center and he's going to take on one of the better secondaries in the AAC I think that's going to be just a big bigger challenge than what he's seen so far um, so I guess you know, obviously it's all speculation until they go out and play. But uh, I think I think the betting line is accurate. Having USF as a near double-digit favorite. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, so USF needs to, to not uh, not read their own press clippings. That's 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 uh, well, whatever press clippings that may be. I, you know, I would say anything anything negative Martin Finley says, they should definitely read for motivation. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh gosh. Oh god. Um, <laughs> Switching gears, I, I think Tito. Something to mention. Something to mention, though, just for, from last week, you know, there were a good amount of opportunities possible. USF kind of left points on the board. Oh, they did. Uh, you know, USF could have gone up into the half of the 2017 lead mm-hmm. if Randall St. Felix had yep. to hold on to that pass. Oh, yeah. You right. know, and, and on top of that, there were some other plays that you know, just kind of got away from them. Aside from that, you know, offensively they had an excellent game. But, yeah, this is, I think, you know, you mentioned it. This is a game where USF really can't get in their own way. You know, silly mistakes could come back to haunt them in the sense of, you know, you, you cough up the ball, you know, you turn it over, 
uh, something silly like that. I think for, for USS, they, they need to convert their opportunities, especially when they're given a short field. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, so switching gears to... Yeah, uh, switching to, gears, to so aside, aside bit, from yeah. NFL marathon games, tell us what else is happening down south. Uh, so I think the, the interesting part about last week was every school and every professional team in the state of Florida, including all the NFL teams, Jaguars, Dolphins, Buccaneers, and then UCF, USF, University of Miami, Florida State, FIU, and FAU, all won except one school, which is the University of Florida. The University of Florida lost to Kentucky, which was pretty hilarious. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, I think right now for, for the other schools, I, or for the other teams down here, Miami's going up to Toledo. Uh, I think, you know, people are trying to write that off as a game where Miami should handle it easily. However, you know, Toledo gave Miami a run for their money last year. Mm-hmm. Toledo was up in the half, going up 16 to 10, mm-hmm. and they actually have one of the more potent receiving groups in in the conference, uh, the MAC. But I think for Miami, they're going to have their hands full with Toledo, especially after that opening with lost LSU. Uh, I know they're missing a couple guys, and offensively, Miami hasn't been where a lot of people expected them to be, and it seems like there's still somewhat of a QB identity issue there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. But for for some other schools, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously FSU has Syracuse this week. They travel up there. That's a game where they're clearly on upset alert. Uh, I mean, if if you had a power ranking for every school, I think Florida State might be last. I mean, they, they wow. genuinely look like the worst team in the state of Florida. And I, I think that's not even, you know, sparing an expense. They just don't. They don't look good at all. Think, things are not in place yet. I, I think uh, if, they, if they're patient with Willie, which is certainly not the MO of, of any yeah, of, of no. the big the big three state fans. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they were, then, That's an impatient fan base. Th- then I, I would say, hey, he'll get the pieces in place. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I just I don't think Francois is a good match for what he wants to do offensively. Yeah. And, but they'll figure it out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not feeling bad for him because they, they have <laughs> – the luxury of the money they have and the athletes that they have and the prowess yeah, and the brand. They got the cash. They'll, 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 they can figure it out. Uh, Tito, we going to see Nicosi play this weekend? I think uh, this weekend he won't start. However, I do think, though, that if for whatever reason Miami's offense is sputtering in the first quarter, I mean, it would not have, I would not put it past me to see Nicosi here yet to the game. I mean, this is, this is a game where Miami – they genuinely cannot lose it. Like, they yeah. really cannot. They, you, if you lose it to Toledo, A, you fall out of the rankings, and B, you're only furthering the argument that Maliko is was holding the program back, unfortunately. So I, I think, you know, I mean, I've, I've asked this to a couple people in, in the South Florida area, you know, if, if you put yourself in Mark Rick's shoes, do you, do you hold on to, to Malik Rozier because, you know, he was 10-0 and at one point last season, you know, he, he did all the dirty work last season to have the incredible season Miami had for the first time in a while, got them to a major BCS Bowl. Do you hold on to him despite his performance, or do you rip the Band-Aid off and start one of these young quarterbacks and begin to develop him as you, you know, enter the next couple seasons just because Malik Rozier is not going to be back next year. He's not going to be with the program anymore. He graduates. So I think it's only a matter of time until Nikosi Perry eventually finds his way onto the field. And, Malik, and Coach Mark Rick just said it. We're going to play the best guy, the guy who gives us the best chance to win. So I think it's literally a matter of time until Nikosi Perry plays. If that's this weekend, 
I, if Miami's up by a lot, maybe, if it's a close game, I would imagine they stick with Rozier. But if Miami's offense is sputtering and they're, you know, they're trailing and they need to kickstart something, it would not surprise me to see Rick roll out Perry. I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, if, if I'm the Hurricanes, I just want to line up with my offensive line and just run the ball right at Toledo. Um, and then it seems like those Mac offenses are always ones that you just want to kind of slow down. So I, I don't know. Right. I don't know if they're timing based or if, if Miami's pass rush is going to be able to come into play or not. But I feel like those are the things I'd be wanting to lean on. But you kind of want Malik to get his identity uh, established. Uh, and so right. yeah, um, this and, and and are they starting conference play uh, next week after after Toledo? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I believe in the following week. They play uh, some conference opponent. Oh, actually, no, I'm wrong about that. They actually play FIU the following week. Oh, okay, so, wow. so they have kind of two weeks, yeah. two more weeks of really kind yeah, of preseason. Yeah, getting together, and, so. yeah. And, and that's what people have been saying. You know, Miami has all the opportunity within the next two weeks to continue to see how well the coaching pairs is. The competition gets incrementally better, obviously, from Toledo to FIU. I don't know what the the talent gap really is there, just because I think I mean Toledo won the conference last year. FIU, you know, had their best season in a while last season as well. Uh, but for for Mark Rick, it's his absolute responsibility to at least see what guys like Nikosi Perry, Jaron Williams, and Cade Weldon look like before the end of the season, before you get into ACC play. Yeah. Just because if, you know, you head into November and you still haven't seen what your backup quarterbacks look like, you know, it, 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 it looks worse for next season than it looks for this. So I, I think it's it's definitely something that's uh, on the back of his mind for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, beyond that, what what should, you, what should they be most concerned about in terms of, like, what are, what's, I mean, where are they at now? They've, you got one game that, you know, for all intents and purposes, you got blown out. You got one game that and you know obviously you're gonna win. Yeah, you d- can't learn anything from last week, really. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, and so and, and yeah. I think it's even uh, hard a little it, bit harder. It's a feel good game. Yeah, it's hard to learn from the first week even because it's literally the first week of season. Yeah, you get surely you're a different team in December than you are September, even if it is a big game. I mean, where where are these guys at? Are this is this you know are we still on track to win an ACC title or uh, ACC Coastal uh, title? Or, um, you know, are we still on track? You know for vision beyond that you know i mean where you know where where are we at what, what do we know what do we know about the canes now that we did not know uh when we had this conversation i think about three weeks ago well i think so from three weeks ago i think things are apparent uh a uh the offense is still a massive question from last year the play calling still seems uh, a bit you know simplistic at times and maybe that's a product of the fact that Mark Rick can't call certain plays just because of Malik Rozier, or maybe Mark Rick just as a play caller, you know, is kind of stubborn in his ways. Or maybe just a matter like as, as people keep pointing out, Malik Rozier cannot just cannot be uh, a first a, a starting quarterback. He's more of a backup quarterback. And and something to, to keep in mind, which is I think is super interesting, here, is Malik Rozier is not. A Mark Rick guy. Malik Ozier is from the previous Al mm-hmm. Gold staff. Yeah. Yep. Nikosi Perry is a Mark Rick guy. He was mm-hmm. the number one recruit that Rick identified in the 2017 class and said I, he made it a point to get him. Now, Perry ended up getting suspended for that LSU game, which is massively interesting as well, just because 
you know, had Terry been there Good and play. they're trailing 27 to three yep. yeah. before the end of the second wow. quarter, you know, that could have been Perry's time to come in the game and kind of shine. However, you know, he didn't get to see that. So I, I think, you know, that that's probably the biggest concern. Another concern is the offensive line. Uh, they only returned one true starter from last year, uh, the center, Tyler Gauvier. Everybody else kind of moved around. Tyree Lee St. Louis went from right tackle to left tackle. Uh, they have a new starting left guard. They have a new starting right guard. And their right guard, Devon uh, Donaldson, who was a true freshman last season, went from right guard to right tackle. So I feel like for Miami, it's kind of a finding out what's your unit there. Who are your five guys that you need to roll with? Because if anybody knows how Mark Rich coaches, he wants to establish the run. He needs to establish the run to get his offense going. Even back to his Georgia days, that's the way he would win ball games. And Miami, just for whatever reason, the first two games, it's kind of been a little bit of a struggle to establish the run. So I think for the sake of Miami, those are the two main question marks. Outside of that, uh, I, I think the defensive line at times has shown a little bit of inexperience. Uh, not a lot, not as much depth there as they thought they had. Maybe uh, you know they, they lost two starting defensive tackles to the NFL draft. Guys that were told to go back to Miami, that the NFL scouting service said, "Hey, you're not ready. You should go back to it for another year." And both decided to declare for the draft anyways. So I think that hurt them big time. So I, I think uh, that's probably the main biggest three concerns for this team. The ACC is still very much in play. Uh, I mean, they haven't even gotten into conference play, and it, it, it goes without saying that Miami looks like one of the best teams in their coastal. Uh, obviously, Virginia Tech is probably going to be their biggest matchup, and I think, you know, after the way they, they handled Florida State, going up to Blacksburg late in November is going to be a tough game, oh, without yeah. a question, yeah, regardless so, right? of who the quarterback is. Yeah, I think going to so Blacksburg is tough. I think time. for, yeah, so for, for Miami, it's going to be about handling ACC play. It's going to be about, you know, finding, obviously, Who's your quarterback? If, it, if it's Rozier, if it's Perry, or if it's the true freshman, Jaron Williams. And then secondly, it's finding that groove offensively. Because here, here's something that I think, you know, if you wa- if you rewatch that LSU game, and and it's obviously in the past, and there's nothing Miami can do about that LSU game now. But they went into that game, and it was end of the first quarter, it was 3-3. Three to three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're, if you're a Miami fan, you're feeling good. And then it was an utter collapse in the second quarter. They went, LSU goes into the... The sec- end of the second quarter at the halftime up 27 to three and they just sat on the ball for the rest of the game mm-hmm. you know so I and strangely enough Miami outrushed them Miami outpassed them in passing yards so that for for Miami while it was a super disappointing to point for performance I think that game was just more of we made uh, a multitude of errors in you know a matter of five six minutes I oh, mean yeah. the pick six. Uh, consecutive three and out LSU and, and, pick six. and something that not yeah the pick six and something that people aren't mentioning uh, LSU didn't start behind their own forty yard yeah. line until the third quarter yeah, field position, field the position. Whole night. so yeah so I, I think for Miami uh, there, there's a lot of things that uh, could possibly come up as a concern however talent wise this team is still one of the top three four teams in the conference. I think they can if they can handle their business conference wise, they'll be in the conference championship once again facing Clemson. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll see. There's still a lot of games to play and a long road ahead, but they obviously have a good gap in, in games terms of, of kind of sort of almost. 
Uh, I know tune-up is not really the word to use, but Gabe's kind of leading up to conference play with uh, with Toledo and FIU. And Tito, we got to put you on the spot. What happens this weekend in Toledo, and what happens in Chicago? It's at Soldier Field. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so for for Toledo, I got Miami sneaking away with a 14-point victory. Okay. Uh, I think this is one that Miami, you know, puts on a oh by the way touchdown at the end to make the score look different than the game actually is. But I do think Toledo in the beginning of the game is going to pose a threat. I think this is a game where you know Miami's going to have to throw a strong punch in the very beginning of the game because if Toledo gets up a couple scores, it's going to be hard for this offense to uh, you know come back from that. And then for USF, I, I think this is a double-digit victory for USF. I think for the most part, uh, USF kind of outclasses Illinois, both on offense and defense. It's just a matter of USF not making silly mistakes, not letting the momentum for Illinois uh, get them riled up. And, I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think at this point, man, you got you got to feel confident with Blake Barnett back there. I mean, yeah, you want to yeah. talk about a quarterback who had poise, a guy who, you know, I think the announcer said in the middle of the game, you know, he, he's been casted out, and a lot of people have written things off about him, and a lot of people have said things about him that, you know, he quits on teams, he doesn't want to be in certain areas, and he could have quit on USF late in that game, but he stuck it through, and he made some incredible throws and incredible plays. I think USF finds a way to come away with a double-digit victory in Illinois, and it should be, it should be heading into conference play 3-0. Yeah, well, that's what we're anticipating. That's what that's what I anticipate as well. I, I think in the end, I mean, not, not, not Horn's not even a factor. I think Barnett actually is a factor in, in the defense. I, well, think I think those two things. I think Blake Barnett's consistently accurate passing. Like he, yeah, he yeah. hasn't really seemed wild. He he threw a bad pick in the first quarter against Georgia Tech, where I couldn't tell where it was going to. But outside of that, yeah, most yeah. of the throws there, even the, even the throw that St. Felix couldn't bring in yeah. was looked like it was right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. I I see a I see. I see him throwing the ball over the top, and he has better athletes uh, than, yeah, than the P5 DBs that, that he's throwing on this weekend. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't necessarily see a wild blowout in this, but I, I see a comfortable, I would say, 17 to 24 points. I don't, they're not going to get surprised by anything yeah. Illinois can do. Like They don't have any kind of triple option guy who's going to come out and just basically take every pitch in himself and run. Yeah, so yeah. I, I see you. I see the defense actually forcing some three and outs. Yeah, it's more conventional, more conventional so, yeah, offense. Far, far, so. far more conventional. Uh, yeah. Well, as always, we appreciate having Mr. Tita Banash, the man behind the curtain, Miami Sports Radio 560 WQAM, and the Five Rings Podcast, AAC Insider, and Captain Crystal Ball. Tito, we appreciate you being <laughs> here on with us with Balls and Brew. We hope to talk to you in the next couple weeks. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Well, absolutely, guys. Appreciate it. Let me know anytime you need me. Sounds good. From now, go Canes, go Bulls. Have a good one. Yeah, absolutely. See you guys this weekend. Okay. See ya. Hi. Thank you so much for listening to to this uh, this episode of the Balls and Brew Show. Um, If you really enjoy it, tell a friend. Tell tell a bunch of friends. Tell your mama she's into beer and sports. Tell her she's not into beer and sports. Hell, maybe she'll listen to it. I don't know. Whatever. But just definitely tell someone. That's how we want to grow this thing. It's a labor of love. Uh, we do it for you guys, um, and if, uh, if there's certain topics that we're not touching on, uh, please hit us up and let us know. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Um, you can also go on to ballsandbrew.com and leave a message. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we are even we are starting a Patreon account, and so you may even be able to donate to us and really get the dream going. We'll have some prizes to go along, along with your donation as well, so definitely look for that soon. For now, the glasses are empty, the mics are off. This is Balls and Brew.